this and in Matthew. Yep. So about three books back. Haggai. 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 That is quite a name, isn't it? So I'm glad my parents did not name me that. All right. Let's look in chapter number one. Haggai chapter one. And I want to share with you three thoughts today. Uh, of ways that we can be victorious in our Christian life. Uh, there are many more than this in Scripture, but we're going to give you three of them today that will be a help. Uh, they've been a help to me over the years in, um, in going through some things, and so hopefully they'll be a help to you today as well. Haggai chapter number 1. In the second year of Darius, the king in the sixth month, in the day, first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet, unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time has not come, that the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages. To put it into a bag with holes, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message and speak to hearts. And Lord, that it would be an encouragement and a help to us in uh, in living victoriously in the Christian life. Lord, one of the great uh, drains on us spiritually, the strength of our spiritual condition many times is the battle that we go through to gain victory over sin in our lives. And I pray that you would help the word that will be shown this morning and the truth from it to be a help and a strength and an aid to us in this area of living victoriously. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, the background of this book is uh, the fact that uh, after Nehemiah built the walls of uh, Jerusalem, and we all remember the story of Nehemiah, and they uh, at that time laid the foundation to rebuild the temple. And after the walls were secure and the foundation for the temple was rebuilt, all of the work on the temple uh, ceased, and for several years now the, the temple was laying in waste. And that's where Haggai begins in the first part of this chapter, saying that, verse number 2, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. And they kept putting it off and saying, It's not time uh, to build the house of the Lord. We've done the foundation, we've had great revival uh, Ezra came on the scene and uh, read the book of the law, and uh, great revival came across the nation of Israel. But it seemed like the, the nation as a whole had been lulled into complacency. They had done an unbelievable and a supernatural work at rebuilding the walls in what we would consider to be an unbelievably short amount of time, a great dedication and a great effort under unbelievable opposition, and God prospered their work and strengthened them for the labor and they did such an amazing thing and then it seemed like when they had this great victory they had 
uh, God doing some amazing blessings in their life with rebuilding the wall. And revival came because they began to rebuild the spiritual condition of the nation. That it was during this time of prosperity, both spiritually and in their, uh, in, in their city as a whole, in the city of Jerusalem, that the people began to become apathetic. And I, a lesson to be learned by this in all of our lives is that when things are going well and when God is really blessing our lives, those are some of the times that we need to be most cautious and most careful to make sure that our walk with God remains intact. We tend uh, to, uh, when things get going good, uh, to, to kind of slack off and we don't put the diligence and the effort and we don't have the vigilance against the things that Satan would try to come and bring into our lives and we can be, if we're not careful, lulled into complacency. And so two different times, Haggai brings up in this particular chapter, Thus saith the Lord, consider your ways. Now I've preached on this topic before. We're going to go a little bit different direction from this point in the message. But one of the things that I think is, is disturbing in, that I find in my life when I begin to struggle in some areas is that I have found myself to have become very complacent in a place where I wasn't thinking through my walk and my relationship with God. I kind of did it by, um, by uh, habit, let's say it that way, I guess would be the best way. Uh, I would go through the motions of reading Scripture. I would go through the motions of having a time of prayer. But the time of my heart being in tune with the Holy Spirit and walking with Him and being intimately involved with Him many times would fail and struggle under apathy. And so I think it's important here that God comes to the nation of Israel and finds them in a similar situation that you and I many times can find ourselves in. And that is a series of doing the things that we ought to be doing, but giving no thought to them. And so God says, it's time that we consider our ways. There comes time in our life when we become accustomed to things spiritually, that we are in need of being awakened again. David said, said it this way, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. You can't restore something that wasn't in shambles to begin with. Uh, Paul told Timothy, he said, Timothy, stir up the gift that is in you. We come to the book of Haggai, and Haggai doesn't use the terms restore, and he doesn't use the term stir up, but he uses the words that God gave him, and that is consider your ways. And for us to have victory in, in a daily basis in our lives, I believe one of the things that we've got to do habitually and we've got to do on a regular basis is we need to consider our ways. The Bible talks about in the book of James a man that will come to the perfect law of liberty and behold himself as a man who looks at himself in a, in a glass, in a mirror, and sees what manner of man he is. And can I tell you this? You and I are in desperate need of daily coming to the Word of God and allowing it to reflect and show what manner of man and what manner of women we are and that we consider our ways. We end up getting into a place where it becomes routine. The Christian life becomes routine. I've been there before. I, I'm sure if we were to go around the room, testimony could be given to the fact that there are times that we just seem to go through the motions, don't we? 
we get up and we go to church on Sunday because we know we, we ought to. That's what we're supposed to do. Or we go to our Sunday school class because we're supposed to. Or we attend a revival meeting because we're supposed to. Or we have our devotion time every day because we're supposed to. Where rather it should be that our hearts are so excited about the opportunities that we can't wait to do those things. That our hearts are drawn to have not just a time of devotion with God, but being devoted to God. That our hearts would long for Him and hunger and thirst for Him. And so God comes to the nation of Israel and He finds them in this spirit of apathy. And He says, folks, you all got to consider your ways. He says, some of you all uh, think it's okay to just go and dwell in your sealed houses and eat, drink, and be merry and be content with the way things are. And God came to him and said, no. He said, you need to consider your ways. In verse number 8, he says, go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house and I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Now let me ask you a question. Uh, the, the temple, obviously, during this time of writing, was located in the city of Jerusalem. And it was a physical temple. It was a temple that God had put there uh, for the time being to house the Holy of Holies and to have the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant and the, the laver and all of the, the uh, uh, instruments of worship in the temple that were there. And it uh, was a physical place. But where is the temple today? Where is God's temple today? Uh, in here, right? What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which, you ha- which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? And, and, and if we're to take the, 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 the teaching that's given here, the apathy was in the neglect of building God's house. And can I tell you, that's the same problem we face today. This, this right here is not God's house. These walls, these chairs, 30, uh, 3479 Frontier Road is not God's house. God resides here. And the neglect comes when we get apathetic towards building the house of God. And so God tells the nation of Israel, He says, here's how you fix that. You consider your ways. Stop a minute and see where you're at. Realize the condition you're in. You're going out here and you're earning wages to try to put it into a bag and not realizing the bag has holes in it. You try to eat and you're not filled. You try to drink and you're still thirsty. There's never enough. You never seem to be satisfied because every man is run to his own house and this house lie waste. Boy, isn't that a sign of what we live in today? The, the, the materialism of this world, even in Christian circles, isn't it our temptation to want more than we have? Isn't that a draw on our flesh nature? That we become wrapped up in the cares of this world and many times neglect the temple of God. And God says, consider your ways. The second thing that we can do after considering our ways is to confess our sin. Because when we come to the perfect law of liberty and we look inside of it and we see what manner of person we are, can I tell you this, if we come sincerely, we're asking God with a heart that longs to be right with Him, I promise you this, God has a way of showing us where we're wrong, doesn't He? His Word helps to purify us and cleanse us from some things. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles, we're going to look at a couple passages of Scripture here. Second Chronicles chapter number 7, and again, dealing with the nation of Israel 
And again, understand this, that many times in the Old Testament, the way God dealt with the nation of Israel, a lot of times parallels how he deals with us individually now. And we see his heart. We see what, his, what, what it is that pleases him and what it is that displeases him. And we can learn an awful lot from the examples that are given to us in Old Testament Scripture. In Second in Chronicles chapter number 7 and verse number 14, God writes, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Now notice he gives four things here. If my people, which are called by my name, shall, number one, humble themselves. That's probably one of the greatest sins that we battle, isn't it? The sin of pride. And it's one of the the most difficult ones to overcome. Because even when we begin to to get to the place of humility, we get proud of our humility. And it's all a big battle again, isn't it? We've got to humble ourselves and realize that we are not all that we should be. And notice he says here in verse number 14, not only are they to humble themselves, but they're to pray. And thirdly, they're to seek God's face. And then turn from their wicked ways. And notice the promise that God gives. He says, Then will I hear from heaven and will what? Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. We don't confess our sin in our Christian life to stay saved. We don't believe we can lose our salvation. The Bible is very clear about that. Why then is it important for us to confess our sins? Look with me, if you will, to 1 John chapter number 1. 1 John chapter number 1 and um, verse number 9. Let's back up to verse number 8. First of all, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Would we, would we agree with that? Can I tell you this, whether we agree with it or not, would it still be true? Sure it would, because it's God's Word. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So now we come to verse number 9. This puts all of us in the same boat, doesn't it? We're all in the sinking ship here of having sin in our lives. And verse number 9, he says, If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why is it important then as a Christian, if we don't believe we can lose our salvation, what is it that is so important that we confess our sin now in in this time in our life? Uh, The best way I know to explain it is uh, to parallel the relationship of a child to a father uh, and the, the relationship I had with my mom and my dad growing up. When I, when I did something that I knew to be wrong and I knew that it disappointed my mom and my dad and got them upset, I will say this, that when I knew that they knew about it, I would go to my room and I would be as quiet as a mouse. Now, I was a hyperactive kid, and for me to be quiet as a mouse as a kid, was a, that was an unbelievable feat of discipline and strength on my part. But the reason I was quiet as a mouse and did not, for any reason, want to draw attention to myself was because I knew that my mom and dad knew that I had done wrong. 
And that love that I had for mom and dad and that love that I know they had for me, it didn't disappear. But boy, it sure hindered the relationship we had. After things were gotten right and I would go to mom and dad eventually and fess up to them or or they would sometimes already know and come in and punish me for that. So many times... And I believe this is a wonderful picture my mom and dad showed me of the Lord Jesus Christ. So many times I sat there on the edge of the bed after having gotten a whooping. And my mom or my dad, whichever one was there, would take and wrap their arms around me. Tell me how much they loved me. And you know what? It was all okay again. Man, I could come to the dinner table. I could listen to my dad tell his corny jokes and laugh like a barrel laugh, and I could laugh along with him. And all of a sudden, that relationship with him and my mom was restored. And the sweetness of that. It's the best way I know how to describe the importance of confessing our sin as a Christian with the Lord Jesus Christ. That we can restore that walk with him, that relationship with him. doesn't mean that Uh, that we've lost our salvation. When I did wrong with my mom and dad, I was still their son. There was nothing I could have done to not be their son. It just messed up the relationship. We want to have victory in our Christian life. We want to have joy in the Christian life. If we want to live victorious over sin, and we want to have a life that has the power of the Holy Spirit resting upon it, we need to consider our ways. If we don't do this, we'll never realize If we don't come to the perfect law of liberty and peer into its mirror and see what manner of people we are, we don't have a way of knowing. If we're not sensitive to the convicting of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we don't realize that we have a need. But once we realize that we have the need, we are not to get bitter at God. We are not to get angry at God. We are not to be offended And say, well, who does God think He is to convict my heart of that sin? He's God. He has every right to convict me of that sin. And while it is not pleasant, it is needful. And we can rejoice in the conviction for sin. Because it gives us opportunity then to come and confess it. And restore it with our Lord and our Savior. That that walk with Him, that sweetness of fellowship, that, that sweet hour of prayer that the songwriter wrote about is no longer hindered. The relationship is no longer deterred by the, the fact that there was something that was driving a wedge between my soul and the Savior. I need to consider my way and you need to consider your way. We need to confess our sin. And then the third thing that will be a help to us, and again, I, this is not exhaustive, folks. We could, we could give a lot of principles of Scripture that will help us to gain victory in the Christian life. These are just some things that have been a help to me over the years. The last one that I know of in verse, Romans chapter number 12, if you don't mind turning there for a moment, Romans chapter number 12 is that we consecrate our will. We give it to the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we surrender ourselves to Him. The Bible says in verse number 1 of chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Does God have a right to ask us to be a living sacrifice? Certainly He does. 
with the great mercy that He has shown us. He has every right. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your extraordinary service, your exceptional service, your service above and beyond the call of duty. Reasonable. It's just the norm, isn't it? Thank you, Miss Sylvia. Man, she's got her King James Bible down pat, doesn't she? Amen for that. Which is your reasonable service. Do we understand this, that that's just the norm? The yielding completely of ourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit, it's just what's expected. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know what Paul was telling them? He said, you need to surrender your heart and your life. Can we say it this way? We need to surrender our will. To the point where we have laid it on an altar and said, God, it is no longer mine. It is now yours. Take my will, the songwriter wrote many years ago, and make it thine. Take my will and make it thine. Three things that will help us to have victory. If we will consider our ways, and I believe that's vitally important. If we will confess the sin that God shows us in His Word and His, through the convicting of His Holy Spirit. And then if we will get to the place where we will completely and utterly yield our will as a living sacrifice to God. To take our hands off of our lives and say, Lord, it's no longer mine. It's yours. Do with it as you see fit. Somebody said years ago, it is not up to the servant to tell the master when or how he's going to serve. That is rather for the master to decide. And can I say this, that one of the battles that we face that keeps us from the victorious Christian life is the battle of our will. The battle of the fact that my flesh nature wants what it wants. And the battle of your flesh nature that wants what it wants. And to get to the place where we say, Lord, I'm going to yield it to you. I'm going to consecrate it to you. I'm going to submit it to you. I'm going to make it a living sacrifice. I have a dear friend of mine, Brother Dick Snook, who was here a few weeks ago and was supposed to speak, and we had snow. And I'm hoping maybe this summer or fall he'll be back up this way. But we were talking one day, and he said, you know, the problem with a living sacrifice is it keeps crawling down off the altar. And that's the truth, isn't it? I don't know how many times I've had to go to the altar. I don't know how many times in a month or in a few weeks I have to go and get along with God and say, Lord, I'm getting out of sorts again. (laughs) I need you to draw me near again. Because the truth of the matter is that's the battle we face. My will or His will. And... uh, 
I don't know if that will be a help to you or not. But those are three things that have been a help to me over the years. And I thought, well, I'll share them this afternoon. Maybe they'll help somebody else. We've got to consider our ways. Let's not get into the point of apathy where we don't, we don't see anything any longer. Open our eyes. Open our hearts, Lord. And help us to see. When we do, let's get it right. Let's make sure there's nothing between our soul and the Savior. And then let's consecrate ourselves and say, Lord, from this point on, from this day forward, I'm going to strive to sacrifice my life and my will and give it completely to you. And I'll tell you, if we can ever get a hold of this and actually put it into practice in our lives, you'll be shocked at what an amazing life God will allow us to live as a Christian. The joy will be there. The victory over sin will be there. What a sweetness there is in walking with Him. Let's stand together, shall we? Father, we're thankful for Your Word. I pray that You'll bless the invitation time. As we take just a few moments to allow folks to respond to the preaching, perhaps there would be those that have struggled in one or more of these areas. And maybe today that they would come and get that right. Maybe it's a matter of uh, not understanding and seeing the condition that they're in. Maybe they have grown apathetic. They're no longer building your house. They're no longer strengthening it. They're no longer growing in the Christian life. They're just kind of stagnant and content with where they're at. I pray that you would help us to consider our ways. And Father, as we learn and know of things in our lives that need to be taken care of and things perhaps that we're doing that we should not, or Lord, it may be some things we ought to be doing that we don't do. But whatever the case is, I pray you'd help us to confess them and get them right. 